I want to welcome you back to God Size Living, the podcast. We've been talking uh, last week about uh, the topic behind the curtain. Uh, we're at that point in the study of Daniel where Daniel gets to see behind the curtain of history where God is showing him what is getting ready to take place in the future. And it's heavy for him. It's, it's actually just burdened him because what God shows him is the persecution that will occur ultimately in the church at the hand of a, of a horrible leader by the name of Antiochus Epiphanes IV. And as Daniel's trying to understand, what, what does this mean? And how do I deal with this? Because it's, it's painful for him to, to just think about. God does something. He sends an angel, not just any angel, but the archangel Gabriel to speak into Daniel to help him understand what's going on. This is what becomes fascinating to me. In order for Gabriel to help Daniel understand what's happening, he, he literally has to peel back the curtains that I think separate what I like to call the physical world that we live in from the very spiritual world of angels. That's who Gabriel is. He's an angel. And what he wants Daniel to see is, guess what? There's more than flesh and blood involved in this battle that's going on. Uh, this man, Antiochus Epiphanes, uh, there's more happening in him than meets the eye because there, there are fallen angels and good angels who are at work. And, and many times it, it is the, the evil angels that, that take hold of a person like Antiochus and begin to use that person uh, as a puppet in the hands of, of our enemy, the enemy of the church. And yet what Gabriel wants Daniel to see is despite that, Daniel, despite the fact that evil will happen, God is still very much in control. Last week, we talked a little bit about the fact that uh, in our churches today, we don't talk, I don't think, enough about this topic of angels, good or, good or bad. And I, th I think we need to because they're part of our lives, very much a part of our lives. We, we looked at verses 23 to 25 of, of Daniel. And this is the description that Gabriel is providing to him. Uh, I'm going to read that again, and I want to pick up pretty much where we left off last week. Remember what's happening. This is Daniel 8, verses 23 to 25. And, and what's happening is, is Gabriel is describing for Daniel what's getting ready to happen. He, he says, uh, again, these, these, these words we read last week, let's pick up again. It says, and at the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a king of bold face, one who understands dark sentences shall arise. So Gabriel's pointing to this moment in, in history where in Greece, there rises up this king, Antiochus Epiphanes IV, who is going to persecute the church. I'm going to continue verse 24. His power shall be great. Now listen to these words, but not by his own power. So Antiochus is powerful, uh, but, but what's really the power underneath him? Is it human? I, I don't think so. Okay, let's, let's continue to read. It says, he shall cause fearful destruction and shall succeed in what he does. What, why? Why is he succeeding? Why doesn't God just stop him? We're going to raise that question today. 
He will destroy mighty men and the people that are the saints. He's destroying saints. Stop him, God. But God doesn't stop him. By his cunning, he shall make deceit prosper under his hand and his own mind. He will become great. Without warning, he'll destroy many. And he shall even rise up against the prince of princes. He's going to stand in the face of Jesus himself. But he shall be broken. But by no human hand. Again, reference to that behind the curtain. That he'll be broken. But it won't be a human hand that breaks him. Last week, uh, we, we kind of began to talk a little bit about uh, demons and their interaction with human beings. And the fact that there's a lot of people who are just skeptical. Like, oh, I don't believe in that stuff. Um, for me, there's a lot of a lot of things that uh, science really can't explain that occur in people's lives around what we're going to call uh, exorcisms. And we talked a little bit about the fact that in our world today, there are, just in the Catholic Church, 50 certified uh, exorcists who... Are, are pretty busy people. The volume of humans who are calling in on an ongoing basis uh, with questions for the, the priests, uh, what, what is this behavior, how do we explain it, is, is phenomenal. That's a lot of people. Uh, so for me, books like The Social Scientific Study of Exorcism have become helpful, uh, as has the work of people who are trained psychologists and who are open to diagnosing potential causes of demonic activity. These have become very helpful to me. Uh, one such practitioner is a board-certified psychologist and professor of clinical psychology. His name is Richard Gallagher. So in 2016, Gallagher, he's a professor at New York Medical College, wrote an article for the Washington Post in which he described much of the paranormal and scientifically unexplainable behaviors observed by those in the medical field who work with the church to differentiate between what might be called authentic cases of demonic activity versus psychosis or fraudulent claims. So this man's work, uh, he's a consultant to the church. Uh, exorcists, when they receive calls, one of the first things they have to do is determine what's, what's really going on here. People like Gallagher, who are certified psychologists, step in, and while the Psychological Association of American Psychologists does not recognize or deny the presence of something spiritual, they, they simply say, hey, we, we, don't, we don't know. We're, we're science. Uh, they, don't, they don't deny it or suggest that psychologists turn away from it. What I like about Gallagher is uh, people like him do consult the church. And, and again, one of the first things the church has to do is, is answer the question. What are we dealing with here? Is it maybe uh, something diagnosable through the Minnesota multiphasic inventory? Can we put a scientific designation on what's going on? Or is this person just fraudulent? Is somebody just making this up? That, that happens. Or is there demonic activity? So what Gallagher recognizes are the three classic manifestations of demonic interaction with human beings, uh, possession, oppression, and temptation. Of course, we could add deception to the list as well. But let, let's make a distinction here. Where possession is present are found individuals 
who are outside of a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Now, they may be in the church, but they're outside of a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ. Sometimes they are in the church. Sometimes they're not a part of the church at all. Uh, this involves the entrance into an individual on the part of one or more fallen angels, demons, in such a way that the receptor's personality is replaced. What Gallagher describes as having experience with possession are individuals who, here's some of the signs, number one, might frequently enter into observed trances. They just enter into a trance. Could, could last for a short period of time, could last a long period of time. Secondly, they may express highly contemptuous language around faith and religion. They're just, they're just contemptuous. Number three, they might break into speaking foreign languages that have been completely unknown to them. All of a sudden, here's this person speaking a foreign language that they never studied, they don't know, but they're speaking fluently. Number four, they might possess supernatural strength. In possession, the subject may become self-destructive or other destructive to the point of causing harm. Uh, not uncommon uh, when you look at the New Testament for people who are possessed to be cutting themselves, harming themselves, as well as to have become uh, a problem harmful to other people, so much so that, that people who were identified uh, in Jesus' day as potentially being demon-possessed were actually put outside of the city so that they could not cause harm to others. That's possession. Now, that's different than oppression. Oppression is found in individuals who may be either outside or inside of a legitimate relationship with Jesus Christ. So I'm a Christian. I follow Jesus. Can I become oppressed demonically? Well, the answer is yes. Not possessed, but oppressed. So what does that look like? Well, the oppressed, the subject still retains control of their physical and emotional self. You may be feeling weighed down physically, emotionally, spiritually, but you, you remain in control. Now, oppressed subjects may become depressed, even self-destructive, su suicidal, in fact. There's generally not the presence of a desire to car cause harm to others, generally not. But some of the signs of, of oppression could, can include, include sleeplessness, addictive behavior, substance abuse, overeating, spiritual apathy. And spiritual apathy typically accompanies oppression along with feelings of hopelessness. That's oppression. Then there's temptation. All of us will experience it. In temptation, a fallen angel has studied a human being. The demon knows the individual's life patterns and rhythms, both healthy and unhealthy. They, they know them. They've studied us. They're aware not only of a subject's outward weaknesses, but observe hidden sin and places of weakness. And while demons cannot cause a subject to sin, they're able to act persuasively in a subject's life through the manipulation of circumstances as well as through those who are outside of the faith. Culturally, they are at work. So last week, uh, again, when we read through Daniel's narrative and we reread it today, there's a word that I hope 
you heard. It's a word that relates to what we're talking about here, and that word is merciless. Let's go back to verse 23 and read it one more time for you, and you're going you're gonna to hear the verse. The verse, again, is referring to Antioch's Epiphanes IV, and it says this, At the latter end of their kingdom, when the transgressors have reached their limit, a merciless king, one who understands dark sentences shall arise. Now, again, we know who that is, but just notice the word that's used to describe him. Antiochus Epiphanes IV is described as merciless. Now, the Aramaic word that we find here is the, is the term azpanim. And I like the translation merciless because he is. Antiochus Epiphanes delights in death. He delights in killing God's followers. He delights in the destruction of those who follow God. He is merciless. I like that translation. But the Aramaic, I think, adds depth to it. Why does he delight in death? Here's the literal translation of Azpanim. It means, ready for this, one with a bold face. I want you just to listen to your mother's voice here. When she looks into your eyes and says, don't you tell me a bold-faced lie. Well, guess who the bold-faced liar is? Lucifer. Who is he? He's the one who's able to look God in the eye and proclaim himself to be God. So, so no wonder Antiochus is described in the verse as able to understand dark sentences. Do you know why? He's a puppet, one manipulated by Satan himself. Is he possessed? Possibly. We, we don't know that, but we do know this. He is absolutely acting as an agent of Lucifer. So the minute you read this verse, a question comes up. Why? Think about this with me. Why would God allow a potentially possessed man to hold such an incredible position of power? Why? This man will go on to wreak havoc and pain upon God's people, those who follow God. Why would God ever allow someone like this to occupy a seat of power? as he has others. If we ask why Antiochus, we must also ask why Nero? If we ask why Nero, we have to ask why Domitian or Titus. Even within our own cultural context, we ask why Hitler or Stalin or Mayo. All of these were tyrants at best. In fact, I'd argue more. Each bears the mark at a minimum of satanic oppression, possibly possession, including, if I might be so bold, some of our current <clears throat> global leaders. So why? Why does God allow them to rule? How can this possibly make sense? Well, we're going to come to uh, an end of our time again for this week. We'll have one more week where we pick this topic back up. <clears throat> I really want to close out strong. So as we close out today, I just want you to think about this, this, this question at hand. Here's Gabriel. He's explaining to Daniel what's going to take place. Clearly, he's saying, yep, there's going to be persecution of the church at the hands of a, a man of great power, Antiochus IV. Where does he get his power? Well, it's just not human. And in fact, clearly, Gabriel states that it is not human. So what is it? 
Well, what we've looked at today is just the, the fact that demons do interact with human beings, sometimes oppressively, sometimes they possess. Could Antiochus have been a possessed man? Well, when you look at the history, at the death that he caused, that would not be surprising to me at all. We will never know. That is behind the curtain. That's what God knows. But we do know this, that demons are capable of both possessing and oppressing, certainly using human beings uh, for his intentions, for his intentions. And that's, that's really what uh, Gabriel wants Daniel to understand. That look, look, here's what's going on. It's behind the curtains. There's more going on than meets your eye. This man, Antiochus Epiphanes, is, is not just a bad guy. He's not just a bad ruler. He's something more than that. Satan is at work in him. Uh, I'll close by just asking the question. When you look at our world today, globally, you see wars going on right now, some pretty bad stuff. Uh, you see what's happening in, in the, the Western world. Is it possible? Is it possible that there are, there's demonic interaction that's going on between demons and people of power? I want you to really think about that today. We'll, we'll close out next week with this topic. Uh, I hope it's a blessing to you. I pray for you regularly. I, I pray that you pray for me as well. And I, I thank you for doing that. Uh, we're going to come back to this topic one more time next week. Until then, I wish you a God-sized week.